88. 88 is the number. One Florida couple, almost in their 70s, 88 is the number one Florida couple has adopted in the last four decades. One couple, 88 adopted children. Doesn't that scream kindness and benevolence and love, self-sacrifice? And all the more, because all of these children were, were special needs children, all of them, according to this news report, were supposed to die early. It's admirable, and all of this started with a dream the couple had to make a home for handicapped children, a home where they would be loved for, cared for, and by God's grace, many of them went on to live so much longer than expected, really because of the couple's care and benevolence to the needy. I mean, just stop there for one moment and imagine, imagine how admirable this is, the benevolence there, the, the, the kindness, the love involved in that, where you're making a relationship with this child that you know is going to go in just a matter of time. I don't know if you guys know, but for a, long time, for, um, a while back, um, there was a few months where we thought Owen, our youngest child, was going to die in the first year of his life. He showed multiple markers for a a couple of genetic problems. And uh, so this was high risk, and we just had to wait. And there was a lot of praying going on, a lot of seeking the Lord and casting our cares before Him. Um, And I thought, man, like if there was anybody that I could imagine who would excel at taking care of a special needs child that's going to die, it would be Melanie. So I thought, praise the Lord that me and Melanie can do this together if this is what the Lord has called us to do. But by God's grace, you see Owen, and he's relatively normal. (laughs) Praise God. Um, And those issues resolved. But man, in the midst of that, our hearts were connected with our baby. And the thought of losing him within the first year of life, and if he he in fact was born with these genetic abnormalities, he would 100% die before he was one years old. So just imagine, right, this couple giving all of their resources, heart resources, to adopting 88 of these children. Imagine the sacrifice and the love. There's such big-heartedness and such benevolence there. But you know, friends, when we read stories like this, or when we see loving parenting going on even here right now, or even when we want loving parenting to take place where it has not taken place, we're actually pointed to the love of God, aren't we? The fatherhood of God. And no matter how amazing earthly fathers are, while they are good, they are only a small reflection of the love of God the Father. As we continue in our series of the book of Romans, we are reminded of, this is our main topic today, if you're taking notes, we are reminded today of the wonderful blessings of having God as Father. We are reminded of the wonderful blessings of having God as Father. I invite you to turn with me to what is probably the most well-known passage on the fatherhood of God, which is Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. Romans chapter 8, 
verses 14 to 17. I believe it's found on page 944 if you're using one of those black Bibles there in front of you. Romans chapter 12, sorry, Romans chapter 8, 14 to 17. I'll actually go ahead and read 1 through 17, just so we get a context of what he's talking about here. He says there in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh But those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if the Spirit of Christ is in you... Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So again, we look at the wonderful blessings of having God as love. But you know, many people today, sorry, God as Father, the many blessings of having God as Father. Many people today don't think so well about God as Father. When thinking about God, many people primarily think about God as judge, right? God as judge. It is true the Bible says God is judge and that he stands opposed to evil and sin in his righteous fury. And friends, if you're visiting with us today, you have to agree, right, that that is not necessarily bad. That's not bad, not one bit, especially because it comes from God. Just imagine if some evil was done to your loved ones, your children, someone was preying on them. You too know, probably know something of a good anger. You know something of a good Wrath, even, a righteous fury. But God is not only judge, according to the Bible, God is loving father to his people. God is loving father to his people. So that's what we need to reclaim here. And the evidence just is throughout there in verses 14 to 17. You go ahead and look there. That's our passages for for today. We want to stick our faces in the Bible because what I'm saying should come right out of the Bible and you can verify with it. 
Uh, it says there, right, you, if you are led by the Spirit of God, you are what? Sons of God. Family language, fatherly language. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive a spirit of adoption as sons. Once again, you got the fatherly language. And through this spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 17, we Christians are called heirs, heirs of God, heirs with Christ. So there's plenty of evidence here that says, right, God is Father. So though Romans states so clearly that God is judge, Romans is also chock full of reminders that God is loving Father to his people. He loves. This actually goes back to Romans chapter 1, verse 7. Go ahead and look there, right? At the beginning of the letter, what does Paul want Christians that he's writing to in Rome in the middle of the 50s A.D., who are going through persecution, what does he want them to know? Look at verse 7. To all those in Rome who are what? Loved by God. Called to be saints. They are loved by God. God has set his love upon them. And the fact that Paul wanted Christians to be secure in God's love is actually why he wrote so much of his letter. If you remember the structure of Romans, just think about the big picture outline of Romans. Romans chapters 1 to 4 explains the gospel. Who is Jesus? Who are we? Why did Jesus come to die on the cross? And then in chapters 5 to 8, he talks about the blessings that come from belief or faith in Jesus Christ. Being justified, that is, declared righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. Some of these blessings, right, we have peace with God. We have a restored relationship with him. Another one, we have freedom from the power or the tyranny of sin. We have new life in God's spirit, as we saw, see so clearly in Romans chapter 8. And then in our section today, we have the blessing of sonship in Christ, all on account of the fact that God loves the needy. God loves the needy. Now, if you're visiting with us today, you're exploring Christianity, you're trying to figure out what is this love of God that the preacher is talking about, uh, do not think of God's love as being sweet, the type of uh, sweet, sappy sentimentality, that kind of love found in Hallmark cards. No, God's love is passionate. It's determined, even fierce. God's love is fierce, right? And just, just imagine yourself, you know, if someone's going to hurt your loved ones, are you, is your love just going to be passive? It's going to be fierce in protecting those that you love, right? Same with God. Because our love is just a, a small reflection of God the Father's love for his people. We see that God's love is fierce, determined, passionate in his fatherhood, in the adoption of the needy. In the adoption of the needy. God himself adopts the needy. And when I say needy, think sinners. It's the most desperate kind of neediness there ever is. He adopts sinners into his family. And God seeks to adopt the rebellious sons and daughters as we know from the bible that god had created man as oscar already prayed god had created man to be in a relationship with him perfect relationship where there is no sin but those people rebelled against god adam and eve they rebelled against their loving father they wanted to live out from under the father's authority just as i'm sure some of us have rebelled against our own parents. We wanted to live outside of their authority, do what we think is wise. That's exactly the very nature of all of us from Adam and Eve. We are born rebels. The Bible says that we have all rejected God, but yet God still pursues rebels in love. Think about God's adoption of his Old Testament people, that is Israel. If you're not familiar with Old Testament history, God even though people had rebelled against him, God drew near to his people even still. 
he goes to this man named Abraham, the father of Israel. And God claimed him all by his grace, according to his love and his plan. So he sets his love upon a pagan man in a pagan land, and he draws him out all by God's grace. He promises Abraham to make him a people fit for him, for his glory, where the people will live for God under his rule. Think the Ten Commandments. Think of his law. Think of the Old Testament and his word in general. Uh, and the mission is to be a holy people to the ends of the earth. And you know what Israel is called in the Old Testament? God's son. God sees people, if we want to think about it this way, orphans, standing, sitting in their own vomit and in their own feces and urine. I have a a colleague, and he writes about his process in adopting two of his children from the former Soviet Union. And he said that he and his wife walked into the orphanage, and he saw two boys sitting, standing also, playing in their very own feces and vomit. And he knew somehow that they were for him. And they went on to adopt them. That's God. God comes along, and he sees us as sinners having rebelled against us, sitting in, so to speak, our own vomit. And feces, and yet he delights to adopt us, those who repent and believe. This is what God is doing with Abraham, what God is doing with Israel. Israel is God's son. And this is where this adoption concept in Romans chapter 8 comes from. Paul's reaching back to Old Testament Israel, and he's applying it to the church. These wonderful blessings that come from having God as father. So just to be clear here, why does God choose to adopt Israel? Is it because, you know, let's say the orphan children put on the whole dog and pony show and said, yes, I'm so beautiful, go ahead and pick me? Is it because of their own strength? Is it because of their own power? Maybe it's because of their own morality, their goodness. Well, friends, the Bible says so clear, God himself says the answer is no, none of those things. It's not because of their own power and number or anything like that, but because, as Deuteronomy 7, 8 says, because, quote, the Lord loves you. Because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Do they do the dog and pony show to earn God's love? The answer is no. Because we know that people refused to love God. Why does God love the people? It is simply because God chose to. So they were the needy in the most, once again, desperate sense of the term. And we too having come from Adam and Eve's line, are sinners by nature, inclined to rebel against God. We too are needy in the most desperate sense of the word. Romans 3.23 says, For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, And have now earned for ourselves eternal death. Judgment of God. So thinking back to God the Father's love, this is not sentimental sappiness. God's love is fierce. It is determined. Even though the people abandoned God, God did not abandon his people. Instead, God kept his promises. That's God's love. In the Old Testament, it's called his steadfast love. It is his never giving up love that always keeps his covenant promises. And seeing our neediness and inability to stop sinning, it was what moved him to work and act in a new way. He said in the Old Testament that one day, this is a prophecy, he prophesied that one day he would send the Messiah, the chosen one, to rule and reign over the people, to lead them. 
And by his spirit, he would gather and guide them according to his word. And this God did in Jesus Christ, God's true son. So if you're not a Christian, once again, you're thinking about what's all this Easter stuff. You know, you got Jesus Christ, superstar, whatever that is. I don't even know what that is. Uh, you know, on television. What, what is the point of all of this Jesus? This is the point of Jesus. Because God sees the needy and meets our need in Christ all because he loves us. And he is gracious to sinners. This he does in Jesus Christ, God's true son. Don't think son, as in God came down to have physical relations with a human being and therefore produced physical offspring. No, that's not what happened. Think son as in the eternal son. Think son as the one who bears the exact imprint of God's being. Think son who has all authority in God's kingdom. This is Jesus, God the eternal son, come in the flesh Christ and God sending Christ, we see God's big heartedness, his benevolence to sinners who are in need. In Christ, God the Son dwelt in the midst of sinners. In Christ's sacrifice on the cross, God the Son dies to rescue his own enemies from judgment. In Christ's spirit, God gathers and forms for himself a holy people, even writing his law on his people's hearts, making us, therefore, alive to God. All of this, once again, is not, not because you earned God's good favor, but because God is gracious to you. He loves you, and he's chosen to set his love upon you. He has chosen to free you from judgment. And Romans in the Bible in general teaches that any sinner who repents of their sins and believes on him in the Son, Jesus Christ, can become a son of God. We now know, those who repent of their sins and believe, we can know God as Father. Right, this is the main reason why Paul, one of the main reasons why Paul was writing this letter to the Romans, to explain further some of the details of the gospel. And he wants to take that gospel, as we know in Romans chapter 15, he wanted to take that gospel to a place where it had not been preached. Jesus Christ died on the cross, three days later he got up from the dead, and the church has started, and as he writes this letter, in the mid-50s A.D., the gospel hasn't yet gone to Spain, and he wants to take it to Spain. He wants to take this gospel that sinners can, in fact, be saved in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ once and for all. Friends, this message is for you. This call is for you. If you have not turned from your sin and believed on him, you too can be saved from your sins if you would turn from them and believe on Jesus Christ. He is the righteousness that we need. In the beginning of Romans, he says, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Still, the problem is that we are unrighteous and have earned for ourselves, once again, just condemnation before God. But God is love. He is a whole lot of other things. He is a fire. He is a consuming fire specifically, but he is also love. And so he sends Christ to take the punishment that we ourselves deserved so that we could be free, so that the unrighteous would be justified and declared righteous, so that those who rebel against God can have a new relationship with God, so that we can be forgiven of our sins once and for all and have eternal life with God. Friends, repent of your sins and believe on him, and you will be saved. Now that we have looked at the love of God in adoption, we turn to three blessings that flow from this adoption. So just now we cover the love of God and adoption. Now we look at the three blessings that come from adoption. Um, the first is, the first of three blessings that come from adoption is, 
God's children need not fear judgment. God's children need not fear judgment. Look there at verse 15. It says there, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Of course, 15 and 16 follow on the heels of verse 14. All those who are led by the Spirit of God are indeed sons of God. Why is that? As you fight your fight against sin in this life. He says, look, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So you see what's being contrasted there? He basically says, look, sons of God, you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That's bad. And then he turns to the good. So you got the bad and then you got the good. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. It's the Holy Spirit that confirms adoption. Well, first secures adoption, but then confirms adoption. So right here, right, we're not supposed to fall back into fear in our battle against sin. We're supposed to be strengthened in our battle against sin. We're supposed to be assured before God, having been saved already by God. So we have to keep in mind, right, as he's talking about all this adoption stuff, it comes actually in the setting of Christians needing to fight against sin, of Christians suffering in this world, whether because of first battling against sin, indwelling sin, which we talked about last week, uh, but then in future weeks, what we're going to see, too, is that Christians, right, we, we suffer in this fallen world. We suffer the effects of this fallen world. The whole creation groans as God is one day going to be making all things new. And then also we suffer from persecution even. Some of you guys might know this. Maybe some of your very own friends are now turning against you because you claim this Jesus guy and now you want to be kind and loving as he is too. And the world might be turning against you. <clears throat> so this encouragement of being adopted as sons of God comes actually right in the middle of suffering. Many Christians struggle to be free from the thought of condemnation in their battle against sin. Right? We read about God's judgment in Romans for the wages of sin is death and condemnation. And even though you, Christian, know that you have been declared righteous before the righteous judge, even though you know that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, we sometimes still feel like God's going to put us back under his righteous eternal wrath, don't we, in our battle against sin, especially when we're discouraged, sometimes when we've stumbled and fallen and we're wrestling to cling to God's grace and repent and believe in an ongoing way. Why is it sometimes that we struggle with that in the fight of sin? Why is it that we don't get our adoption as we think that God's going to somehow send the children back to the orphanage? Well, I think one reason why is because sometimes people know this dynamic from their very own parents. We know this dynamic from our very own parents. Right, just imagine if you had a parent or authority figure who punishes you in wrath when you get things wrong. I'm not talking about a loving discipline that has an eye to restoration and love and reconciliation or teaching. Right? God says that he disciplines those he loves. Right? So clearly, not all discipline is bad. Discipline can be good. I'm talking about a wrath and anger where if you get it wrong, you get wrath. And when you get it right, you get love. What does this uh, type of parenting subtly teach the children? Doesn't it teach the children that good works secures relationship and love? Good
him. We have no fellowship with him. We rebel against him. In fact, Romans chapter 5 says that we are enemies against him. We are hostile against him. But he sees that, right? God the Father comes along and he sees that, okay, orphan, I understand. I understand your sinful heart. I understand you sit in your own vomit, in your own feces, but yet I give you love. And so while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what it says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. And so he acts. He sees our need, and so he acts. He provides Christ to be our righteousness, to reconcile us to himself and himself to us. He knows that we as sinners could never work enough good, do enough good, because God's standard is perfection. And so seeing our need of righteousness, God provides his righteous son and now all those who believe on his righteous son the righteous one are declared righteous before the righteous god